Okay, so Philippians chapter 2 and beginning at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So for those of you who are visiting, very welcome, very warm welcome to you. We've been going through, I've been going through the book of Philippians, this letter. And we, we've been looking, we looked last time at how Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself just by, as we've shown, by becoming, you know, becoming a man through his life. And then as it says, uh, he, he humbled himself to the point of death. The extreme of humility, right to his death he went. And so, today obviously we're going to look at the complete opposite of that. We're going to look at how he goes suddenly from there, in the, in the grave, and gets exalted to this, the highest position ever. So, just as a brief recap, in this letter we've got uh, Paul, he's encouraged the believers to grow. He said, grow, you know, get better, rely on God and be improving in your love, in your wisdom, and so on. And be united, he said, be united among yourselves, it's important. And he went on to make comments while he was in jail, and he had no thoughts of being in jail. He wasn't thinking about himself, you know, woe is me. He was saying, isn't it great, I'm banged up. Gospels get preached more than ever. That's all he was concerned about. And we heard about how Paul was, he said, look, to be honest, I prefer just to die and go to be with God. <laughs> but he said, I've got work to do, so I need to stay. And while I'm here, I've got Jesus, I've got Jesus to uh, support me in, in my, my work. And then finally, Paul urged, urged them and urges us to put other people before ourselves. I know we all do it sometimes, but none of us do it all the time, putting other people before ourselves. There's, there's just little remnants of selfishness in every one of us, sadly. And today then we're gonna go from this, this magnificent thing. Paul, Paul like flows from this humiliation of Christ right up to his exaltation. Uh, he gets this reputation when he's exalted, he gets his reputation higher, he's higher than the whole of creation. So, today, I want to do uh, just three things, as I normally do. I want to look at the ascension, Jesus going back to the right hand of God. I want to think about what it means for God to give him a name, a 
above every name. And then finally, I want to see the reaction. We can see the worldwide submission that this event prompts. So the first thing is then, the first point is a great ascension. There's this great ascension and ascending. So we looked back at Easter, we looked at this death of Jesus. Now, for you and I, for you and me, um, death is a necessity, okay? We die whether we like it or not. The difference with Jesus is he chose death. Even though he was divine, he willingly submitted to the will of the Father in order to save other people. People sitting here today. And in that willingness to obey, he made his choice. He made the choice. He would go. He would go down to this world of men. Here we are. And when he was there, he would let them kill him. But at Easter, we also looked at Jesus' resurrection, of course. So having laid down his life for his sheep, he spent a short season in the grave. But it was never possible that the grave could hold him, remember? So on the third day, he was miraculously made alive. He threw off the shackles of Hades, if you like, and he stood once again among his people. And then he was to enjoy a, a time of fellowship, a certain a number of days uh, with his disciples, until the ascension came. And so it was that the bodily presence of the Son of God with us came to an end then, and he returned to his rightful place, his rightful place of power at the right hand of God. It says here in Isaiah 52, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So this is talking about Jesus, of course. The great servant of God, it says, would be highly exalted. So, looking at verse 9, what does it mean exactly in verse 9? God has highly exalted him. What does it mean? So we've looked at the state of Jesus, what's called his humiliation. That's Jesus humbling himself to come down. And it ended with his death and his burial. But then there was this dramatic reversal. So he came out of the grave alive. He was in a body superior to the one he had before. And then his resurrected self saw a further increase in glory as he was made fit then to inhabit the heavenly realm once again. So we can think about Instead of thinking about the resurrection and the ascension and all this as, as you know, separate events, we can see them all as one event of the exaltation of Christ. So it started with the resurrection, but it rose to its highest point when Jesus ascended and God announced that Jesus was Lord of all. So it's part of the one process. We don't really know what happened uh, to Jesus in the ascension. You see, when he when he left, when he left the world, 
this world. You can read this in Acts, can't you? He rose up from the earth. So he actually levitated. He, he went up. And you might be wondering, well, where's he going? I mean, what we shouldn't do is think that it means that heaven is, is, is upwards somewhere in that direction, whichever way he went. But this is all symbolic. It's all symbolic. So, going up is to do with being exalted. Down is the opposite. So we shouldn't think, we shouldn't really think that, you know, if we go far enough that direction, we'll, we'll arrive in heaven. Any more than the lake of fire is, is below our feet. That, that's just not, that's not, not true. Listen to this from uh, Ephesians 1. <coughs> Verses 20 and 22. It says, He, that's God, raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus here, he's pictured as sitting down in a large throne next to his father. But again folks, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. He's not over there or over there or up there. God's a spirit, he is everywhere. And he most certainly does not need to sit down anywhere, he's a spirit. So what does the throne represent when it says God's on the throne? It's talking about his rule, his power. So when our text in Ephesians that we just read says that Jesus sat at God's right hand, it represents power sharing in power, in glory, in authority. Jesus was entirely equal with God the Father. So he ascended. He ascended from death to life. He ascended from earth to heaven. And he, he ascended from his state of humility to a state of, of glory. It was a great ascension, a great ascending. I want, to, I want to make a brief comparison between Christ and Adam. So in this passage, it sweeps from absolute humiliation to ultimate exaltation. And we can see in that this, this, this whole process a kind of superiority to what Adam did. Think about how the two compare. Adam was made in the image of God, whereas Jesus was the very essence of God. Adam tried to seize equality with God, whereas Jesus received him as a natural consequence of his obedience. Adam was doomed to die because of his own sin, whereas Jesus chose to die for the sins of others. All those belonging to Adam, all those in his family, and that's all of us, we're all destined to die. But it goes on to say, all those who are belonging to Jesus on that last day, shall be made alive at that great resurrection day. 
So friends, Jesus is back where he belongs. He's back where he belongs. While he was on this earth, he looked forward. He said, he said, he looked forward to, he said to his father, I'm looking forward to regaining the glory I had with you before the world even existed. And, and in our, in fact, in our, in our text, when it says Jesus was highly exalted, uh, the, the original word means hyper exalted. Hyper exalted. It's a real, real emphasis. And so in this great fanfare of the ascension, the Father welcomed back Jesus as a sovereign over both this created universe and the heavenly realm itself. So we've spoken about the great ascension of Jesus. And I said then we were going to look at this name. It says God gave him a name, a great name. So at the end of verse 9 it says, In being exalted Jesus received a name above every name. What was this name? Well, the Father didn't suddenly call him Jesus, didn't announce your name now Jesus, he already was Jesus. He didn't say, You're now, your name is now Christ. He was already called Christ. In fact, Christ isn't even a name anyway, it's a title. It's, it's a title that means the same as Messiah. So how else can we think of this, this, this name? Well look, let me give you an example. When someone is respected in our community, does something bad, we might say he's ruined his good name, yeah? Now, if his name was Tom, he'd still be called Tom. So we're not talking about changing his name in that way. We don't mean that his name's changed in that way. To get a bad name means to get a bad reputation. That's what it means. So when God the Father gave Jesus a name above every name, it refers to this new status of Jesus's. So God is pictured here, gifting uh, Jesus with this glorious reputation. And that reputation will be forever attached to the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The first word in verse 9 says, therefore, or so. Now you know, don't you, if it says therefore, it says so, it means that All this here happened because of what went before. That's, that's, we use that word in the middle, therefore. This, therefore, this. That's, that's, that's what it means. So we can say that the exalting of Jesus is as a result of what came before. What came before, it was obedience. It was absolute obedience. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted and given him his name above every name. Now, I should mention that it doesn't mean that the honour Jesus received in heaven was compensation, was payment for his work. We can't say he earned his exaltation because it was his anyway. It was his by right. He was only taking back what 
but he was only receiving back what was his anyway. So it's better to think of what God did as a sign of his divine approval for the obedience of Christ. So that great status Jesus chose not to assume it, he, the position he chose to not take by force, it's now conferred on him by the good pleasure of the Father. So Jesus gets this new reputation, the name that is above every name. When you look at it in verse 11, it tells us, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord. That's what it says. Lord. Now you might say, well that's nothing special, calling him Lord. In the UK we've got a house of lords. There's hundreds of them. In the Bible it's used as a term for uh, reverence for someone. My Lord. So it can be used in that way. But its use here with Jesus is unique because after his resurrection, the church began to understand Jesus was Lord, but in the very, very highest sense. He was Lord of Lords, the mightiest, the best. These, uh, these verses we read today, these are like half dozen verses leading up to verse 11, they're, they're, they're magnificent. They're so good. Some people think that this was originally uh, like a statement of faith. You know, something that the church would maybe say out loud together when we met for worship. Some people believe that. Some people it was a kind of early hymn. You think it was like a, a hymn. It's certainly lovely. But it could be Paul didn't invent it. But he was including this, this popular uh, confession. And he was bringing it into his letter and using it because it was so good. Of such high language. We, we do know that the statement itself, it, it borrows uh, the stuff from the Old Testament in Isaiah 45, verse 23. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Now let's be clear here. The, the person speaking through Isaiah is none other than God himself, the great Jehovah. How do we know? Well, because it's talking about worship, and only God may be worshipped. We're only allowed to worship God. So by using it here with reference to Jesus, Paul's trying to tell us that Jesus is divine. Have a look a little bit more carefully at verse 9, if you would. Because up till now, I've, I've, I've said, you know, a name that is above every name. But if you look at it more closely, it says, the name, which is above every name. The name. Now, the inclusion of that is deliberate. It's part of inspired scripture. The name. And what... When we say the something, it means it, there's one of them, yeah? Not just a name, but the name, the one and only name. That's why it says the. And there can only be one given name that is higher than any other, and that is the name of God. It's that name that we don't really know how to pronounce. 
Um, some say Jehovah, some say Yahweh, um, and, but it translates as I exist. That's what God's name means. I exist, or I have always been, I am, and I always will be. It's, it's, a, it's a curious uh, name. So it's, it's no wonder then that the, the Bible calls this a hyper-exaltation of Jesus. God the Father announces that this Jesus Christ shares his sacred name, Jehovah. So that's why in God given Jesus a name above every name. The title Lord conveys, conveys this equality with God the Father. An absolute rule over all. So when it says everyone will acknowledge Jesus as Lord, it's a confession that he is the God, the God of heaven. And so this is how he gets this reputation. Well, we've looked at this ascension. We've looked at the name that was given to Jesus. And then, in our reading, we see a response. We see something now that's going to happen as a result of this new reputation, this new name. So we're going to look then at this great submission. Great submission. So the passage describes the created world's response to the knowledge that Jesus is Lord of all. Verse 10. Verse 10 says, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the Lordship of Jesus. So what's that mean? Every knee should bow. Means, of course, everyone will bow the knee. It's an act of submission. It's a picture of submission. But does it really mean everyone? Have you ever wondered why it says every knee shall bow? The people who live around here don't look like they're about to bow the knee to Jesus. So, what does it mean? I'll give you three different opinions on this. You can, you can decide. Um, something, some, some uh, think that there's this day coming in the future when all the human race will have bowed down in repentance and had all their sins forgiven and of course everyone's saved and we can just get rid of hell, it's not needed anymore. Well, it sounds nice, we all want our relatives saved but it's just not biblical, we just have to be honest, we have to reject that idea. So, so secondly then, something that this every knee shall bow means the church. Everyone who becomes a Christian will submit to God and confess Him with their mouth. Well, it makes a bit of sense, you know. Eh? Submission to God and confession, that, that's, that's part of our admission into the kingdom of God. That's how, we, that's how we got in. And during our lives now as believers, we, we continue to, to submit and we continue to confess. So that view is not bad. Acknowledge 
or will have already acknowledged who Jesus is. So think about Christians. Think about us Christians here today. We do this while we're alive. We, we, we repent. We acknowledge who Jesus is. But we know people who have died and will die and they reject Jesus. And so this view says that they will also bow to me, but they, they won't do it willingly. It's going to, it's, this is talking about a reluctant admission of who Jesus is and it takes place at the judgment. Now, as a little illustration of this unwilling submission, in the first chapter um, of Mark's Gospel, um, we, read, we read about Jesus meeting this man and he was under the influence of an evil spirit. And when Jesus approached him, the demon spoke to him, spoke to Jesus through the man. And this demon said to Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. So he confessed who Jesus was, but it was done reluctantly. This verse uh, 10 again, it talks about how wide-ranging this repentance is, this submission by God's creatures. It says, everyone in heaven uh, and on the earth and under the earth it says, is included in this. Everyone. So, first of all, in the heavenly dimension, well, we've got, we've got the angels. They, they are already in a state of submission. And we've just said, haven't we, even the wicked angels are in submission. Even they bow down before the Lord, their maker. They're forced to confess Jesus is the Lord of creation. So we've got them. And then we've got those on earth. It says those on earth too. So throughout the ages that there have always been those who have been converted to Jesus during their lives. So, you know, the Holy Spirit shines a light, shines a light into their hearts and they understand their sinfulness as they stand in the presence of the Holy God. They recognise Jesus as the Saviour and and they put their trust in him. That, that's what happens. And then they subject themselves to him and they confess him to others. So that's the people on earth. And then those under the earth, we've said they're not, they're not. You might say, well, if they're buried, they're sort of under, under, the, under the surface of the earth. But it, it just means people who have died. People who have died. It means that Every, every person you and me know who has died without Christ will be resurrected to a judgment. And for these, that's the point. That's the point when they realise who Jesus is. So sadly, those who've heard the gospel from us, those who've heard the gospel from our mouths, they will have this immediate and overwhelming regret that they ignored us. And it's sad. 
matter what they do, no matter what they do on that day, no matter what they say, salvation will not be an option. No second chances, I'm afraid. And like that demon-possessed man, it, the very presence, the very intensity of Christ's glory will draw out of them finally a confession that Jesus is Lord. And for those people, this confession is also an admission of guilt. It's an admission of guilt because you see, they'll be confessing that the one that they've rejected, the one they spent all their lives in rebellion to, is the Prince of Glory. It is the God of Heaven. And therefore, they will have to admit that there's nothing but an eternal imprisonment that will be sufficient punishment for their crimes. So the last voices in the whole of creation to bow the knee before the Christ and confess him as Lord are those poor wretched creatures raised at the last day. Ancient Romans will lament that they called their Caesar Lord. Modern day Muslims will curse the name of Muhammad as the one who so greatly deceived them. Every atheist, every pagan will bow the knee. Everyone who rejected the gospel will confess. And folks, for those who didn't hear the gospel, well, they had the light of their own conscience. And they spent their lives sinning against their own conscience, that light of God inside their souls. So this, this great exaltation of Christ, it sets in motion the final act of this ages long submission to him. And so this second coming of Jesus will be the culmination of it. At the very end of the day of judgment, every member of the race of angels, everyone belonging to the race of men, will have surrendered and openly testified to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our passage concludes there with the mention of God's glory. The result of this universal acknowledgement of the divinity of Jesus Christ will bring glory to God the Father. It will bring glory to Him. It's glory that is rightfully His. Some of you will have heard of Jonathan Edwards from the Great Awakening in the 18th century and he did this massive work on the glory of God. How am I going to summarise that in, in 30 seconds? I'll try. This is the picture Jonathan Edwards said, well, God, God creates people. He deals with them in different ways. It says in Romans, some of them he deals with in kindness, some of them in severity. But in both cases, the creatures will all bow the knee. 
they'll all acknowledge Jesus as Lord. And so it is that the glory which comes from God through his act of creation now returns to him from the mouths of those very creatures. The glory goes out in creation and it all comes back to him because he's worthy. So we've looked at the ascension of Jesus to the very heights of glory. We've seen how the Father treated him in response to his obedience. And we've seen how, one way or another, all his creatures will glorify God and acknowledge his greatness. But in closing, we're going to return to where the passage began. Verse 5. Have this mind in you. Have the mind of Christ in you. To have the, the spirit of humility he had. To serve others as he did. I want to, I want to try to cheer your hearts today with this. Jesus said that the way to greatness is through becoming everyone's servant. If you've been converted to Jesus Christ, you've already experienced some of this greatness. You might not feel great. But to get into this new Jerusalem, this church of God, you had to humble yourself. You had to humble yourself first. You repented of your sin. You, 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 you begged God the salvation of Calvary would be yours. And what did God do then? It tells us in Ephesians 2. It said, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what he's done for us. Humility, then. Humility leading to being exalted. That's something we have in common with Jesus, then. Now, none of us is the Lord, to be sure. But it says, we sit with him right now in his throne. We share his throne. I'm sorry, I can't tell you what that means. It's, it's, it's beyond me, it's, it's, it's beyond me, but it, it, it's, it's big, <laughs> whatever it is, it's something huge. So there remains just one thing now, one thing in our exaltation. Jesus says, in John 6, Jesus says, all who believe in him will be made alive when he comes again. We'll be so changed as to make us able to exist alongside our glorious Saviour forever. But in the meantime, we should, we should uh, accept Paul's encouragement. We should spend our lives in submission to God. We should submit to each other as well. And we should continually, continually confess the greatness of our Saviour, the highly exalted Jesus Christ, our Lord Jehovah. Amen.